as we come back together this morning, it is my privilege to welcome to our pulpit David Outing. God writes stories in your lives. He writes stories in each of our lives. He writes stories in our life as a church. And through the years, our stories have come together with David Outing and his family um, in Christ through the ministry of Jobs Partnership. Many of you have labored in Jobs Partnership and you know about it, but David gives leadership to Jobs Partnership, and so we are privileged to interact with him throughout the year. Our brother David, many of you know, many of you perhaps do not know him. I've had the privilege of knowing him for about a dozen years, and he does many things really well. He's a husband and father. He's a friend, a pastor. He's a leader, and he's a servant, serving many people in our community, serving our churches also. And David loves his family and serves them. David loves people, and he serves them. David loves the Lord Jesus Christ and serves Him. And David loves the church of the Lord Jesus and serves her well. David had, has ministered deeply to us over the years. And so it's my privilege to welcome you, David, to Orangewood. We're thrilled that you're here to open God's Word to us. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning, Orangewood. Amen. This crowd is already a little excited. I didn't get no hand claps the first service. Um, people are just, it's too early in the morning, I guess. But what a blessing and an honor and a privilege to be in a place that I consider as home. Every time I come to Orangewood, it's like coming home because uh, uh, you have uh, one, of, uh, one of my twin brothers is your pastor, Jeff Jakes. And... Uh, I appreciate him, his friendship, his love. He's one of the most genuine men that I know, and you are privileged to have such a leader here, and we just love him and his wife, Katie. Pray that they are having a wonderful time uh, in upstate. And uh, we're certainly grateful uh, also to be in the midst of great leaders here and the pastors and elders and deacons that make up this ministry to make sure that um, Orangewood is uh, moving in the direction that the Lord would have it. And um, finally, I thank God also for the loveliest lady in the land, my wife April, of almost 25 years. Amen. She's been hanging out with the old boy for a while. And uh, we were thinking about renewing our vows this year, but I don't know if I want to take the chance to see if she would do it again. <laughs> so I might just, be, just stay where I'm at, just, you know. Preacher asked her that one one time. I don't I don't want her to say anything different. But um, she's a wonderful wife. She makes coming home so wonderful and um, great mother to our six children and grandmother for our three grandchildren. And they call us Gpa and Gma. Uh, I know I look too young to be a grandfather, but that's all right. Nevertheless, the word of the Lord. Um, God has given us, I believe, will be significant for you. Uh, but before we get into the word, let us pray. Father, we give you thanks. We honor you. God, we praise you for your mighty deeds according to your excellent greatness. God, I praise you today in the firmament of your power. God, just continue to acknowledge 
how great you are and greatly to be praised. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And they, God, who will have an ear to hear, let them hear what your spirit is going to say unto the church today. And at the end of the day, God, let us not be hearers only, but doers of your word. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to speak to you today about living out the great commandments. Uh, many of us today were so busy in our lives, uh, ministry, business, all the stuff that we do. And I have found in my life as a pastor and a community leader um, that people are so busy about being public successes. And at times we sometimes become private failures. We seek to be successful. And then we run into what they call halftime where folk then seek to be significant. But I want to talk to you today about living out the great commandment. When the words the great is mentioned in uh, Christendom. Quite often, the word commission comes after that to talk about the Great Commission. And though Scripture does not ascribe the words great or commission to the ascension of the Lord, as we see in Matthew 28 and, and other verses, the word of the Lord in the whole and the biblical narrative does ascribe the word great to a commandment. And I want to talk to you about that today. In Matthew 22, 34 through 40, <coughs> please excuse this very annoying cough. Um, it's just been annoying. And my wife left to go pick up our, my prescription and they told me they, they need the doctor's permission. I'm like, you know, forget y'all then, you know. I'll just take me something else. No, but there was a sister that gave me some uh, cough drops out there. What a blessing. You know, God sends people to you at the right time. Thank God for those anointed cough drops in Jesus' name. Matthew 22 through 34, uh, 22, 34 through 40 reads. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. As we see in scripture, God gave through the man of God, Moses, the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, as it were, would serve as a sort of abstract to the entire law. And if you do your study, you will find that um, Israel were, was given an additional 
603 laws that made it a total of 613 laws that they were governed by. How would you like to remember 613 laws? Oh, that's worse than the FCAT right there. (laughs) But they were governed by all of these laws. And so you had 10 blossomed to 613. But then Jesus, as he's come on the scene and the question was asked of him, Jesus said, listen, I'm just going to make it easy for y'all. I'm just going to give you these two. Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, strength. Love God with everything you have. And then the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus mentioned that, he was really referring to what they call the Hebrew Shema. In uh, Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, the fourth and the fifth verse. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. James, the Lord's brother, applies the same uh, verses in James, the second chapter, and the ninth verse, where he says, You believe that God is one. That's good. The devils believe as well and tremble. And let me just insert something here. I remember coming up and and uh, as a young evangelist, and you know, I'd be out on the streets and sometimes just preaching to people. And I remember saying stuff like when people would say, "Man, I believe." And I tell them, man, you, it's more to it than believing. You know, even the devils believe. You got to do more than believe. And I was quoting from James 2 and 9, but I was misquoting it because what James wasn't saying, he wasn't saying believe in terms of having faith in God. He was saying, you believe Jewish people because James was writing to Jewish people in the, you'll read that in the first chapter, first verse, he was writing to the 12 tribes of Israel. And uniquely Jewish people, understood the Shema, that whole Yisrael, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. You knew that God, there was only one God, and the devils know there is one God too. But the devil don't have faith and trust and belief in God as we should. So when James is referring to that, he's letting us know, yeah, you need to know the Shema, But it's more to it than knowing that God is one. Have you placed your full faith and trust in him? So as we look at living out the great commandment, I have to ask myself this question. What does it mean to love God with my whole heart, my whole mind? My whole soul, my whole strength. If I do a survey in here, how many people have attained that level of loving God with your whole everything? Can anybody raise their hand? When we ask ourselves that question, who do we know living on this earth that personifies living 
uh, living for God with their whole being. It, it almost sets up some kind of a person or some kind of a, a litmus test that we cannot attain. But Jesus gives us some idea of what he means by loving God with your whole heart because he adds to it, he said, and the second is like it. The second is equal to it. The second mirrors it, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. We're going to talk about who your neighbor is in a minute, but as we look at the word of God, Luke 10, 25 through 28. Luke 10, 25 to 28 reads, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? And then Jesus asked, How do you read it? How do you understand what the law says? It's in the word, but how do you understand it? So he answered. You know, he feel like, you know, I'm, you know, I know this stuff. So he answers. He said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Remember, he asked the Lord, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He goes on and answers the question. And then the 28th verse, um, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. If you do this. You will live. What do you mean? I can have eternal life if I love God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as yourself. Yes, if you can do this, you can live. Now, if you can't do this, that means you can't live. But if he is saying we have to love God with our everything to enter into eternal life, and I don't know anyone who can raise their hand and say, I'm loving God with my whole being, then where does that leave us? But let us understand what the full counsel of the word of God is saying. In Matthew 19, 17 through 19, he said to him, Jesus is saying to the man who said, uh, good master, Jesus said, why, uh, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So he said to him, which one? We got a bunch of them. You gave us a whole bunch of these. So which one should we be living? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your daddy and your mama. Uh, that's the hood version of that. <laughs> and you shall love, love your neighbor as your Self. Now, here's something interesting about Matthew 19, 17 to 19. Eternal life is connected to the commandments that relates to human relationships. Jesus referenced no commandments referencing God. We know in the 10, thou shalt uh, have no other gods before me. Don't make unto me any graven image. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. There are commandments that talk about your relationship with God. But when Jesus answered this, uh, this person who wanted to know how to enter life, 
Jesus only mentioned commandments relating to how we get along with each other. So he says to this, if I can just paraphrase, if you know how to get along with each other and treat each other right, you can have eternal life. So now who is your neighbor? I'm glad you asked because I'm, I'm fixing to tell you right now. Your neighbor is everybody other than yourself. Your neighbor is that crazy person you just hate all the time. Your neighbor is your spouse. Your neighbor is your children. Your neighbor is your next door neighbor. Your neighbor is that boss that you can't stand. Your neighbor is the person you share that cubicle with that you wish they would fire. Your neighbor is your baby's daddy. Your neighbor is that ex-boyfriend, your ex-girlfriend, your ex-wife, husband. Your neighbor is the person that makes you mad and upset. Your neighbor is whoever's closest to you at any given time. Your neighbor is the seven billion people that's on the earth. You got a whole lot of neighbors. And you must love them just like you love you. So if there are some people in this world that you, let me just just say it this way. If you was in the backwoods of a dark road, there is no lights nowhere. How many have ever driven down roads like that? No lights nowhere. And you driving, you just, just just driving, and it's just you and God and trees and the armadillos. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you see that person, or somebody walking on that street that you can't stand. And you could run them over and get away with it. <laughs> Nobody would know. You could just take them out, and there'll never be a problem for you. If there's somebody like that in your life, that right there is your neighbor. That person is your neighbor. There was a question that was asked, who is the neighbor? In Luke 10, 29 through 33, <coughs> story about the good Samaritan. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, I, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, Man was going down to Jeru- from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, <coughs> and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. If I can get some water, please. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. That's your neighbor. The person that 
is hurt, is down, has been stripped, have been beat, have been left for dead. (laughs) Now watch this. That's the result of sin. Because we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, we were all born with issues. If you, if I was in the church I grew up in, I would tell you right now, tell your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and tell them. Well, let me just get back to him. <laughs> Sin has caused all of us to have some junk in our trunk. We were born with issues. I know you're looking good and everybody came in looking good and all that, but behind all your good lookingness is somebody who got some issues. Somebody who has challenges. Somebody who has faults. And sin has caused each of us to be broke down on a roll, stripped from everything that is good. And that is where Jesus comes in the story. But before the person who comes in that did what Jesus did for us, this man that was broke down, first of all, had some other folks that came and saw him. And the Bible says a priest came by and a Levite came by. These are holy people. These are folks who, if anybody should stop, it's the priest and the Levite because they represent God, right? But watch this. Leviticus 15, if you read Leviticus 15, it is the law of discharges. How do you deal with people that got discharges coming out of their body? And in this case, this man is broke down. Blood is coming out. Uh, (coughs) Bodily fluids is coming out. And so the law says, I cannot touch him because if I touch him, then I'm going to get myself dirty and unclean. and, And listen, I'm too holy for that. I'm too righteous for that. I'm, uh, I'm just so used to having clean hands, I can't get my hands dirty with somebody like that. So I will walk around, because if I stop, then I'm going to be unclean till evening. Then I'm going to have to do some ceremonial washing, and I don't want to go through all that because I'm so used to my little comfortable lifestyle as a priest of the Lord God. The law can't help us. The, the, the law have all these rules that restrict people. That's why the priest and Levite kept going. But this old dog came by. You know I call him dog? Because there was some ethnic tension going on in Jerusalem back then between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Samaritans were considered to be the dogs. And so this low life of a Samaritan, as it were, sees this person broke down and he didn't have no law that restricted him. He was guided by a different law and that is the law of love. And he stopped and he ministered and he poured grace in and upon that man. That's what Jesus did. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God 
in Christ Jesus. I love what the 33rd verse said in Luke 10. Said the Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was. He didn't just try to help him at a distance. He didn't just go try to pay somebody and say, you help him and, and you know, you know, send me the bill later. He came to where he was. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't send no angels. He didn't send anybody else. He came to where we were. And if we're going to serve God and to serve one another, you can't help people until you go to where the hurting people are. And sometimes the hurting people is right in front of you. It's your spouse. It's your children. It's, it's, it's the people right in front of you. You can be, you can be so close but yet so far away. You can be in the house with people and feel distant from them. A husband can say, watch this. Baby, wife can ask, baby, do you love me? This is a classic man's answer. I come home every night, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> what you talking about? I pay the bills, don't I? Wrong answer, brother man, wrong answer. How you going to ask me if I, you, I love you and I come home every night and I pay all the bills and I make sure you have a nice little life and you can get your head dead every week. <laughs> Wrong answer, brother. What the wife is saying is, can you come to where I am? Sometimes that's what our children are saying. Sometimes that's what our coworkers are saying. Just... You're there, you're in front of me, but you're so far away. Come to where I am. This Samaritan came to where the broken was. I love what Micah 6 and 8 says. This is one of the most powerful verses in all of the scripture, especially in the Old Covenant. But hear this, old man. This is what the Lord requires from you. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. That's what the Lord requires. Treat people right. Have mercy on people. Do justice and walk before me humbly. So the great commandment, as I prepare and as I sum up this message in 1 John 3 and 23, here it is. Let me just break it down for you. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The 24th verse says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by one spirit whom he has given us. James 2 and 8 says, if you really fulfill the royal law, what is the royal law? You should love your neighbor as yourself. If you can love your neighbor as yourself, You are doing well. That's what James says. The royal law. He didn't say, if you love God, 
I'm I'm, going to clarify that in a minute. He said, if you love one another, that is the royal law. You are doing well. Galatians 5.14, Paul says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Read it, Galatians 5.14. It's one word, the whole law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You mean the whole law? 39 Old Testament books. 66 total books written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years. Yeah, I'm just breaking down for you. I'm going to help you pass this test. Because right now, the way it is, this is so confusing. Like that FCAT, them people out there created for y'all. I'm going to make it easy for you. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you can pass the test. I give you 10. I expanded it to 613, broke it down to two, and then I'm going to simplify it down to one. Love your neighbor as yourself, and you do love God, and do you do cover the rest of the law. Galatians 6 and 2 says this, bear one another's burdens, and you fulfill the law of Christ. What? You help me bear my burden, and I fulfill the law of Christ? Look at what John 4.20 says. If anyone says, I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The apostle John is saying this. How can you love God whom you haven't seen if you can't love the people in your life that you see every day. So I am going to determine what the word is saying is, you want to know how to love God with your whole heart, whole mind, strength. This is how you do it. Don't even try to fix it. We we think, okay, to love God with my whole heart, soul, and strength means I got to go to church 52 weeks in a row one year. I got to pray eight hours in a day. I got to make sure I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation once a year. You know, I just got to be all very spiritual. And even if I go on vacation, I'm so spiritual that when I go on vacation, I go to church when I'm on vacation. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. I got to love God with my whole heart. So mine. We don't even know how to measure that. But the scripture interprets itself. The way you measure how much you love God is how much you love one another. If there's somebody in your life you just can't stand, then you can't stand God. If there's somebody in your life that you hate, then you hate God. If you can't get along with your spouse or your children, you can't get along with God. Because God is going to determine how much you love me based on how much you love one another. Finally, the last verse I'm going to give you is Matthew 7 and 12. Oh, I just love this verse. Because Jesus, he just 
breaks it down for a brother. He says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Wait, Lord. Hold up, Messiah. Let me understand what you're telling me. You mean all of them 613 laws, everything that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, David, Solomon, Moses, you trying to tell me that all this stuff that I can read back here, if I just treat others the way I want to be treated, that's the whole law? Yeah. That's what I'm telling you. It's so simple, but it's so profound. It is so profound. Wow. As I was listening to Pastor John Montgomery's messages over the last couple of weeks, he said something. Serve and depend on one another. And he used this word called surrendered independence. You got to surrender. You got to give up. Pastor Jakes, before he left, preached a message and he included in that, unpack your stuff and do good. Do good. Robert Upkins Jr. I know I got his last name right. I think his first name is Robert. He wrote a book called Treat Me Like a Customer. He, he was in, <coughs> he, he, he built a big business. One of his big customers was Oprah and other people. He gave all that up. And he wrote this book, Treat Me Like a Customer. You know how we do with our customers. Customers are honorary. They get on your nerves. They all kinds of stuff. But we were bent over backwards to save the relationship because I don't want to see them take their $100,000 business away from me. I don't want to lose that contract. So we'll treat them nice. We'll let them talk to us any kind of way and say, how can I make this better for you? (laughs) These are people you don't even know. These are customers. Upkins write this book, Treat Me Like a Customer, and it was about his family life. Wife and children are saying, treat me like a customer. Husbands are saying, treat me like a customer. If you have been over your backwards to save a customer relationship, why can't we bend over backwards to save our marriages? To save our children? We will listen. We will bend over backwards. We will go out of our way to save a customer and let our children walk away. Let our spouses walk away. Let our relationships walk away. And we got the nerve to call ourselves Christians. And I love God. And your love for God is contingent upon how much we love one another. All of this. All of this. Was written for us. 
that we might believe on the name of the Son of God, Jesus, and that we might love one another. If your spouse or your children don't know that they're more, worth more to you than a customer, you got some homework to do today. If your spouse or your children don't know that you love them, it's amazing to me how we'll come to church and hug on everybody else. Hey, brother, good to see you. Hey, sister, ain't hugged nobody in your family yet. That's the way it is in church sometimes. Let's get it right, saints of God. And I'm not preaching this to you because I have mastered this. Preachers don't preach because we've mastered the message that we speak. We preach what we preach because it's true and we are held accountable to it as well. I don't get straight A's in this area. My God, I wish I could go back and do some things over the, uh, differently. Even, you know, all of my children are young adults now, but if I could do some things differently, it would include spending more time with each one of my children individually, not just corporately. I did a good job with the corporate part, didn't do a good job with the individual part. And I see where it has hurt in a lot of areas. I beat myself up often. Ask God, you know, just feeling like a failure in a lot of ways. But thank God for his grace and mercy. There's a lot of things that I would do different now. But you know what? I can't go back and, 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 and clean up any spilled milk. I can't go back and uh, I can't do like Superman did when he saved Lois Lang and fly around the earth backwards and, and keep the earthquake from happening and, and start all over again. That's for all those old folks from the old Superman, not this new fella he, they got out there. <laughs> but I am committed to finishing well. I am committed to starting right where I am now and finishing well. As I preach this message, I myself am challenged to make sure I don't take my wife of almost 25 years for granted. Just because she hung with me for 25 years, I can't assume she's going to stay for the next 25. <laughs> so I better make sure I get my Mac on. You know, I got to make sure. What's up, baby? How you doing? You looking so fine up in here. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I got to get it on. Send flowers every now and then. Send me some text messages that y'all can't read. <laughs> Got to get it right. Because she's my neighbor first. Then my children. Then my grandchildren. Then the people in my workplace. Then everybody else. My mother, my father. My sister, my brother. This message is living out the great commandment. Don't even think about the so-called great commission where we got to go all throughout the whole world. Man, start with the world in your house. At the end of the day, I don't want to be known as a successful preacher. I want to be known as a good father, good husband, good father, good grandfather. I want the people that have come from my progeny 
to know that their father, their husband, their friend, their brother was a man of God. And let out of my success in my private life bleed over into my professional life. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me just read this and I'll be done. There's a wife who wanted a divorce. <coughs> Newspaper columnist and who was a minister, George Crane, tells of a wife who came into his office. She was so full of hatred toward her husband. I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. So before I divorce him, I want that joker to hurt just like he hurt me. So Dr. Crane suggested an ingenious plan He said, hey, I know what you can do. Go home. Act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent thing he's done. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. And after you have convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb on him and tell him that you're getting a divorce. And that will just tear him up. So with revenge in her eyes, she smiled and exclaimed, that's a beautiful plan. Will he ever be surprised? I'm going to get him now. And with enthusiasm, acting as if she loved him. For two months, she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. She never returned Dr. Crane's call, so he called her and said, are you ready now to go through with the divorce? She said, divorce? Never. I discovered I really loved that man. Her actions had changed her feelings. Her motion resulted in emotion. The ability to love is established not so much by fervent promise as often as repeated deeds. She kept showing love as if. And all of a sudden, the as if was like, oh, I love this man again. I remember there's been times that I have done marriage counseling and the first thing I do when the first session is I do a lot of writing and listening and so I just listen tell me I'll just tell me what you want to tell me tell me what you want to tell me I just listen they come in there mad they talk about the other person and talk about the other person so I, I just play with them I say tell me how y'all got together just tell me about that Something crazy happens because they look at each other and smile. They don't give that big smile. They don't want them to think that they really, really like them at that moment. But a little smile come up because they start remembering some good things. And one of the things I tell them, I say, you know what? The two people that met then is in my living room right now. That's, that's who I'm, I'm coming after. I'm going to forget about all this stuff that got you to where you are now. I want to find out. I want to find those two people that fell madly in love with each other. Let's start and work on loving each other as Christ loved the church.
Finally, real love forgets self. <coughs> William Gladstone, in announcing the death of Princess Alice to the House of Commons, told a touching story. The little daughter of the princess was seriously ill with diphtheria. The doctors told the princess not to kiss her little girl ever again while she has this disease because she would endanger her life by breathing the child's breath. However, once the child was struggling to breathe, the mother, forgetting herself entirely, took the little one in her arms to keep her from choking to death. Rasping and struggling for her life, the, the, the child said, Mama, would you kiss me? Without thinking of herself, the mother tenderly kissed her daughter, contracted diphtheria, and days thereafter died and went to be with the Lord. Real love forgets self. Real love knows no danger. Real love doesn't count the cost. For the Bible says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. Song of Solomon 8 and 7. Life can't give you a bunch of stuff. And love can't conquer it. Because love covers a multitude of faults. Love thinks no evil. It sees no evil. It don't keep a record. It don't bring back up stuff. Love don't do that. And as I close and as the worship team prepares to come, there's the words of a song that they will sing. Keep us from just singing. Move us into action. Keep us from just singing. Move us into action. Orangewood, friends, take this message. Receive it and the love that it was given and move into action and go and love everybody else just like yourself. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart has been acceptable in your sight. I pray, Father God, that I have been a true and accurate representation of your holy word. I pray, Father God, that you would just touch those who have heard this word. And God, may you Empower them to do that which is right and pleasing in your sight, that we might love one another as Christ loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.